In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. Hey, it's Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. Chris Vanini of The Athletic joins us today. we got a lot to talk about. University of Michigan President Mark Schlissel told the Wall Street Journal over the weekend that he doesn't envision football at Michigan unless students come back, and he has yet to decide if students will be back in the fall. It's a pretty big voice from a guy who has a lot of experience in what we're talking about with COVID-19. So it's a very interesting statement, especially coming from him. We'll talk to Chris, who is a Michigan State grad and is not holding that against Mark Schlissel, that he is the University of Michigan president. We'll talk about what it means in that state, what it means for the Big Ten. We're also going to have a little fun. Our Heisman draft at the Athletic Drop today, we all picked five different players from college football this season based on the chances that we think they will win the Heisman or at least get to New York. My team, five quarterbacks. It's awesome. I'm winning the thing. We're also going to talk to Chris about a column he wrote about the undefeated group of five teams from the BCS era on. He had a tournament that he did on whatifsports.com where he pitted these teams against one another and he explains how they fared with the best teams of the group of five era, which is 2009 Boise State, 2017 UCF, 1998 Tulane, 2004 Utah, 2008 Utah. There's some really good teams in there. We'll talk to Chris about which team finished first, and I'll explain which team should have finished first. On to the show. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. I hope you had an excellent Memorial Day weekend. But now, we're getting back to the business of figuring out how college football will start, or if, when. Lots of questions to answer. Let's just put it that way. To help us answer them, we bring on Chris Vanini from The Athletic. Uh, he's our Group of Five guru. Uh, he also co-hosts our Michigan State podcast with our Michigan State beat writer, Colton Pouncey. And Chris... The state where you went to college. Now, you went to Michigan State. You did not go to the University of Michigan. But University of Michigan making some news over the weekend. Mark Schlissel telling the Wall Street Journal, hey, I'm going to make the decision on whether students can come back. I'm the president. But if the students aren't back on campus, I can't see football happening. And he said he definitely can't see a full big house happening. And it's interesting because this is a guy who is – an immunologist, epidemiologist by trade. He studied antibodies for a living before he became a university president. Yeah, and honestly, his 
take on things is really what we've kind of had for the past two months, which was if regular students aren't on campus, then we're not bringing athletes to campus. But then suddenly over the last, you know, two weeks, everybody was like, nope, we're doing it. Yep, we can have we can have the athletes on campus. We can bring them back in June, even if summer school's not going on. And we're moving forward. And Schlissel's kind of saying, no, hold on a minute here. We're, we're not... We're not all in on this yet, and I think he's kind of pulling back the momentum that's going one way, and I think it makes a lot of sense for for the reasons that he said. And like I said, not much has changed over the past couple months in terms of whether or not we can be ready. People are just itching ready to go, and now he's kind of saying, hold on a minute. Well, it's interesting because the the Big Ten is sort of of different minds on this. The SEC had a vote, and they said people can come back to campus as of June 8th, so they probably are going to. The ACC said, you do whatever you want, and, and Louisville's actually bringing people back to campus this week. But in the Big Ten, you've got Ohio State reportedly coming back June 8th. You've got Illinois football and basketball supposed to come back early June. You don't know what's going to happen with Michigan, but their stay-at-home order in their state goes through June 12th. And you made it, we were talking before the show, and you made a, an interesting distinction. Remember with the California schools, when the Cal State system said they were going to have classes only online in the fall, that is not the University of California system. They're two different university systems. And in Michigan, it's the same thing. There's the University of Michigan system and the Michigan State system. So this wouldn't necessarily affect Michigan State if they wanted to do something different, although I would assume whatever the governor of Michigan decides does affect them both. Yeah, and, and the FBS schools are generally not connected toward any system. Michigan has a couple campuses, but they're not in Division One athletics or anything. So technically, you know, Michigan State, Central Michigan, what have you, could make a decision separate from the University of Michigan if it decided to do that. But yeah, the, you know, Michigan has been especially hit by this virus. The, the stay-at-home orders and, and the restrictions have been in place longer than most places uh, because of that. And so that's where it's going to start. And the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, had said, we don't expect fans in the stands this fall. Uh, that's very different than you know what Ohio State's already saying. So you're already starting to see some differences within the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and Michigan State has said it, it probably won't make a decision about students on campus until july central michigan ferris state and western michigan in the same state have said they expect students to be on campus in the fall so that if that gives you an idea of how differing opinions can be even within the same state but it is interesting that the whole crowds at football games thing I mean, we saw all the the pictures over the weekend you saw the lake of the ozarks and uh, i will say so i went somewhere this weekend we went and visited some friends out of town we ate at restaurants because uh, I'm in Florida and restaurants are allowed to, to go up to 50% capacity. And it was interesting getting back to something resembling normal. And I'm curious how much of a push there's going to be in the states where that has not been allowed because people are seeing other people do it. And also people are just fed up with being at home. And does that affect this down the road? Well, I, I mean, you're seeing different types of protests across the country, some of them larger than others, some of them not very much. But, you know, I didn't expect we would get college athletes back to work 
before pro athletes either. You know, pro athletes are still going through their, their unions and negotiations on, on what can happen. And our, our colleague Nicole Auerbach wrote a good story last week that college athletes don't have a say in this. They don't have a union to represent them. It's technically voluntary that they come back at least early on for a lot of these workouts, but everybody knows what that typically means. Um, so we're going to have to... We're gonna have to see what the college players want to do. Most of them are coming back. We did we did a survey last week, and the majority of them said they're totally fine with coming back. But some of them didn't want to play if there weren't going to be fans. And I'm I'm no epidemiologist, but fans in the stands seems crazy to me. As much as we want to get that back to normal, you see a church, you see a salon in Missouri, a church I think in, in Arkansas, and the number of people that suddenly got exposed to it. And to me, fans in the stands at least anytime soon seems far-fetched but you know places like Ohio well, State and other places think it's going to happen so I don't know yeah full stands I, I cannot see right now I could see them doing some sort of reduced capacity like 25 percent that sort of thing and that's what I, I did that story last week that's what a lot of the the schools are actually modeling on is that 25 right. percent capacity but there's a reason nobody I talked to wanted to go on the record for that <laughs> because it, it it makes people nuts and you saw Gene Smith the, the day that story came out Gene Smith happened to be talking to some of his local media and he mentioned that they have modeled the same the, his numbers were exactly what all the other people I talked to said uh, it was basically 20 to 30 percent of capacity. And, and that's trying to go with the, the state of Ohio's social distancing guidelines. And the response to it was immediate. And Gene Smith had to issue a clarification. Well, we might be able to go up to 40 or 50 percent. Well, not unless they change the guidelines, which they might in, in two months, three months, we might see different guidelines. But that's what's interesting about this is. You can't say that now. If you say that now, it's going to make people nuts. And so you just, you're almost better off saying, we don't know what it's going to be like in three months. We'll see what it's like in three months. But you can't say that with regard to players coming back because if you're going to start the season on time, basically everybody in the NCAA has agreed upon you need six weeks, two weeks of sort of acclimation, weight training, four weeks of practice. So that's kind of the, the... the drop dead date is July 15th. And that's where you'd have to figure it out. Cause it would be very interesting if Ohio state is back and ready to play a season and the university of Michigan is not. Yeah. And, and even, you know, San Diego state, part of the Cal state system said they aren't coming back until sometime after mid July. I think Tulsa was pretty similar too. So there are already schools publicly pushing that six week type of deadline and and if you talk about a major school like Michigan who doesn't who doesn't know yet that's going to throw even even more into it. so that possibility of maybe not every school is ready at the beginning of the season that right now does appear to be a pretty realistic possibility and, and that's something the commissioners talked about when when Stuart Mandel and Nicole Auerbach and I talked to all of them a few weeks ago is this may not be one size fits all there may be schools that don't want to participate that can't participate because their states won't let them this is going to be kind of a patchwork and you know i i was watching get up on espn on memorial day and they were talking about is there going to be an asterisk on this college football season well maybe there will be but i i don't think you're going to be able to pressure any university president into saying hey let's do this but it, it's funny because cynical me did see those comments from schlissel on sunday and think hmm 
I do wonder. Now, given what he did for a living before he became a, a career academic, I don't know that this was, is where his mind would be on this. But I also know that there are probably a lot of university presidents out there who are getting a lot of pressure to have students on campus in the fall. Because I'll be honest, having seen my, my kids in elementary school do online classes, I would have a real hard time paying full college tuition for online classes. That would, that would bother me. Right. And I think there's a lot of university presidents going, hmm, I don't know if we're going to be able to make the amount of money we've budgeted for this fall because there are going to be a lot of students who probably don't come back if it's only online classes or they just you know take a gap year, do something else. If you threaten football, that tends to grease the political wheels very quickly. Yes. And I do wonder if there was some of that going on where you, th- you say you're not going to have football back until students are back. Ohio State's going to be lifting weights here in a couple weeks. Are Michigan fans going to go, whoa, 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 whoa? If they're doing it, we're doing it. And then Mark Schlissel would say, well, you know, the stay-at-home order is in place, and so you're going to have to talk to the governor about that. Yeah, uh, it's possible. I mean, like I said, I think part of it as well was probably pulling back the reins a little bit and everybody just jumping forward. There's been a lot of momentum with this. When one or two schools decides to do something, then everybody's doing it. South Carolina says they're going to be done after Thanksgiving and suddenly everybody's doing that now. And and I, I think it makes sense to have some people who are kind of like looking the other direction a bit as well. And, you know, Schlissel is from uh, Princeton. He went to Princeton. And, and the Ivy League, uh, a number of weeks back, said that they were planning on virtual, but they could switch to on-campus if they needed to, and it'd be an easy switch. Well, th- yeah, those are smaller campuses, right, right, so right. It, it would be a much easier right. switch for them than the University of Michigan, right. for and example. That, but everybody else is going, we're going planning to be on campus, but if you can't have to switch to online, that's a bit of an adjustment, too, because you've got people traveling and stuff like that. So, it's, it's yeah, I, I think there's been politics going around and all this pushing different, you know, even within the NCAA and conferences trying to push the NCAA to move on things quicker. Um, nobody's in agreement really on any of this, and, and this is the kind of result that you get. I think that's okay. I really do. I don't think everybody needs to be on the same page here. And if there's some schools that want to play football and some schools that can't and or feel that it's not right, I think that's fine. I, this is a very extraordinary time. So I don't think we need to be getting all too upset if one... Now, I get that if you're a Michigan fan and the president of Michigan in two months says, no, we're not bringing them back, we're not having football, then you can get really mad. Then we'll have all, all sorts of things to talk about, like do you let those players transfer? What do you do? But right now, he's stating an opinion that opinion could change over the next month or two. There is some time. I mean, as we sit, we're still seven weeks away from when, according to coaches and athletic directors and players and whatnot, you would need players to be on campus to start the season on time. So there, there is still time. So we will get to all that. Gather around, kiddies. It is story time with Uncle Andy. And today I'm going to tell you about the morning of my senior prom. I wanted to make sure I smelled great for the blessed event, and so I went to Flea World. For those of you who know Central Florida well, Flea World was, and possibly still is, the world's largest outdoor flea market, 
And the things that they sold at Flea World, some are knockoffs. Some might have fallen off the back of a truck. I, I don't know. I, I don't judge here. All I know is that I wanted to smell great for my prom. And I wanted that popular cologne that was you know, slightly lower temperature H2O. That was the, the new jam in 1996. That was the hotness. So I needed to get as much of that as possible for as little money as possible. And I bought an industrial-sized jug of it at the flea market. I think it was like 25 bucks. I know that I used that bottle of cologne until I was 35 years old. Do not follow my example when it comes to cologne. You can do so much better. You have many more options. You do not need to hit the dirt mall to buy your cologne. In fact, you need to hit Hawthorne.co. Take their quiz. Easy questions. They ask you what kind of smells you like, how often you shower, and I hope it's at least daily, please. They ask you what a, a night out is for you. They ask you what your drink of choice is. And they provide the perfect cologne for you. In fact, the perfect entire bathroom setup for you. You can get your lotions, your soaps. But for cologne for me, they want me to get the work and the play. The work is your fresh and aquatic. The play is your warm and aromatic in case your significant other wants to nuzzle in the neck. And that's, it feels like, you know, you're by the fire. So that's the stuff you need, not the stuff from the flea market. Hawthorne.co. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Use my promo code STAPLES and get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use my promo code STAPLES to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Chris, I want to switch gears to something that, that you and I took part in last week that dropped today. It's a lot more fun than what we've been talking about. And we are assuming there's going to be a football season because, you know, obviously we're, we're seeing and talking to everybody. And so we have drafted teams of players to see which of us can get enough Heisman points. We, we want to try to draft the potential Heisman winner and the potential Heisman finalists. And basically, so a bunch of us at The Athletic got together and we had, held a draft. And... It's the players you think are most likely to win the Heisman. There's a point system. You know, if you get the winner, you get 15 points. The person who finishes second place will get nine points. Third place, eight points. So we each have a team of five, and the goal is to get the most points. And you and I were near the bottom of the draft, uh, so neither of us got near Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Matt Fortuna took Justin Fields. Bruce Feldman took Trevor Lawrence. But let's let's talk about our drafts here, and if you want to follow along, just open up that story on your athletic app. And you went running back first. You were the first person to go without a quarterback. Travis Etienne, your number one pick. Now, you had the seventh overall pick, mind you. Travis Etienne, I think, has a good chance of winding up in New York. But how hard was it to not go quarterback first? Well, I, I did have two straight picks in our snake draft, so I did draft a quarterback a, next. So maybe Kellen Mond was yeah, your first Yeah, you can go <laughs> was, either way. I just went Travis Etienne because I... I think he has a better chance than my, my other pick. But he he averaged 7.8 yards per carry last year on more than 200 carries. Pretty crazy. Yeah. And, and Dabo, you know, was pounding the table for him. He wasn't even a dope walker finalist, actually. But that's that was a pretty good 
you know, group there of running backs last year. He should be probably the best running back in the country this year. And if Trevor Lawrence stumbles in any way and doesn't put up the numbers people expect, like the beginning of last year, I think Travis Etienne's a guy who's right there who could pick up a lot of that uh, Heisman hype as well. He, he decided to come back for another year, which surprised a lot of people. And we've seen him on the big stage time and time again. And I, I think if there was a running back in the country who could win this, my pick is Travis Etienne. So I had the fifth overall pick, and I went with Tanner Morgan from Minnesota. And if you didn't watch Minnesota last year, you're like, wait, the, the dude from Minnesota, why are you taking him? Tanner Morgan averaged more yards per attempt than any returning quarterback in college football this year. And I realize his offensive coordinator is now at Penn State. He's got Mike Sanford, who was presiding over uh, Jordan Love regressing at Utah State. So, Mike Sanford, please don't screw up Tanner Morgan for me, because I do think Minnesota is going to have maybe as good of a run game as they had last year, maybe better which I think will make Tanner Morgan even more efficient as a passer. You know, he's already over 10 yards per attempt, and he's just it's an efficient, explosive pass game they had last year. And I just feel like if he can get them to, to Indianapolis, which I think there's a good chance that, that Minnesota could wind up the Big Ten West champ, if he gets them to Indianapolis, I think there's a really good chance he's in New York. So that, that's who I pick first. Uh, let's go wait, wait, to one, one other thing. One oh, other thing ahead. on Tanner Morgan. Uh, I just I really liked this quote from PJ Fleck about him at the coaches convention uh, in January. Fleck was talking to an auditorium of coaches about how uh, he likes to hire people who have been through adversity. He says, "I hire people who have been fired. I want people who have been through some crap. My quarterback Tanner Morgan is bald, six foot, and he doesn't have the best arm. He will kick your butt on and off the field." Just a great PJ Fleck quote. I'm so happy he's on my team. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. You've got, you've got, you've got a leader. Let's talk about the third overall pick, though, because because Nicole Auerbach picked a player who has not started a game yet, and you'd say, "Oh, well, that's crazy." Except that the last three people who have held this position, two of them won the Heisman, and then were number one overall picks in the NFL draft, and the third one finished second in the Heisman Trophy voting. So I'm, I'm talking about Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, where since Lincoln Riley became the head coach, the starting quarterback has been in New York at the end of every season. Do you think he can make it four for four? Yeah, I mean, he's got that track record of Lincoln Riley. It wasn't long ago we saw some redshirt freshmen and Johnny Menzel and James Winston winning it. So it's certainly not out of the question. I, I think third was a bit surprising, but, you know, whether or not Jalen Hurts should have finished second last year doesn't really matter. Lincoln Riley's clearly a, a very good quarterback whisperer here, and uh, you got to give him a chance. Spencer Radler will have a chance. In, in a Big 12, that is probably going to be a bit down compared to last year. So you took Kellen Mond with the, and it was a snake draft. So you had two picks at the end of the first, basically the, the last pick, of the first round, first pick, of the second round. And you took Kellen Mond, fourth year starter at Texas AM. Texas A&M is supposed to be really good this year. They bring back a ton of players who started, who've played in big games. They replace Clemson and Georgia with Colorado and Vanderbilt on their schedule. So we're talking about a team that probably should win at least 10 games. If, if things don't go at, that well, then they're going to start questioning why they're paying Jimbo Fisher so much and why they owe him so much going forward. But – if they have a good year, Kellen Mond, I think, is a really good pick for this because that's a fan base that will go crazy. They will, you know, they will hype him up. And 
listen, they're going to need him to be good if they are to have the year they expect. Yeah, and that schedule sets up pretty well. Nine of their first ten are against teams that had a losing record in 2019. And then they finish with Alabama LSU. So I'm banking on Mond really kind of rolling up the numbers through most of the season and getting into that conversation at midseason, maybe top five by the time we get to the final couple of weeks. So even if he loses those last couple of games and doesn't play well, he'll still be in the mix and could get me some points. Uh, but yeah, it, it, a large part for me, that's one reason I picked him over Sam Ellinger, was I think that schedule sets up for an opportunity for him to put up some pretty big numbers and Texas A&M to get some, a lot of momentum with their record, even if the opponents aren't there. Max Olson took Sam Ellinger in the second round. Max also took Jamie Newman in the first round. And, and to be honest, if Jamie Newman has a good year at Georgia, Georgia wins the SEC East or wins the SEC and goes to the playoff, he's going to be in New York. And you know, this is maybe one of the biggest questions the offseason is, what will Georgia's new offense look like? What will Jamie Newman look like in it? And we have no clue because there was no spring practice. We've not seen any of it. If we see it at all, it'll be in the first game of the season. So that's a really interesting just side, you know, subplot to this because we don't know. He could be great. He could be average. He could be terrible. It doesn't, we have no idea. We know he was pretty good at Wake Forest, but what will he do playing against some really good competition? I mean, they, they got Alabama in week three. So we'll, we'll know about Jamie Newman pretty quick. I've got two transfers that I took in the second and third rounds. I got Derek King at Miami, and I got KJ Costello at Mississippi State, and I am confident that one of these two guys ends up in New York. Uh, I don't know which one, but one of these two guys. Derek King, you've got Miami playing an offense that, let's be honest, the Hurricanes should have been playing this offense 10 years ago. They're finally doing it. Rhett Lashley's the offensive coordinator. He's tight with, with Kendall Bryles, who ran the Houston offense, the best year Derek King had in that offense. I feel like Derek King is due for a breakout. Yeah, and, and that was the highest, uh, the fastest offense in the country last year, SMU's under Rhett Lashley. Um, the numbers Derek, Derek King put up uh, in 2018 were pretty ridiculous under under under. Kendall Browse there. And, yeah, you, and, you're and talking about a 50 touchdown guy, potentially. Yeah, and, and, and not to mention and 50 touchdowns gets you to New York. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like you said, this is it's an offense that's designed to take advantage of the athletes that Miami has always had. And it, it, I thought that was just a, a great hire by by Manny Diaz there to bring in Rhett Lashley, who uh, did a very, very good job at SMU in a couple of years. And once they had a quarterback in Shane Bouchelle, who I actually drafted at the very end, um, that's when SMU went over, went over the top, and I think that's a great hire. I'm not as high on KJ Costello as you are, but I did like the Derek King pick. I went with Bo Nix from Auburn in the third round. That That's one that could be a potential winner if things work out for Bo Nix. Now, you saw Bo Nix have some real freshman moments last yes. year, but you also saw him like at the very end of the Oregon game looking very poised and – you know, it, it, book in the Oregon game and the Iron Bowl, and, and Bo Nix looks like he has something special. He just needed to learn the job. I get, I'm imagining as he gets older, he has learned the job. Right, and and he's got Chad Morris now, a more QB-friendly offense, uh, a pass-friendly offense. Uh, I got to credit Justin Ferguson, our Auburn writer. He wrote a really good story a couple weeks ago showing that Auburn's offensive success is often more tied to the receivers coming back rather than the quarterback. And 
Bo Nix's top three receivers come back at Auburn. I'm expecting a big step up for him and a, a guy who Gus Malzahn thinks can win a championship. So hopefully he can win a Heisman for me. I mean, that's the thing. If Auburn is the SEC West champ or, or the SEC champ, Bo Nix is in the, in the mix. We're, we're talking about him for the Heisman Trophy. And it will be more of an offense-led. The, the defense will be good. The defense has been good since Kevin Steele's been there. But obviously that defensive line, you lose guys the caliber of Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson. The offense is going to have to pick up a little slack, and I, th- I think they can. Another guy in the SEC that, that Bruce Feldman picked up in round three, Kyle Trask. Watch him. Because he had not started a game since his freshman year of high school when he had to come in and relieve Felipe Franks after he broke his ankle. And Kyle Trask was a very capable starter at Florida last year. This is his first offseason as a starting quarterback, again, since between 8th and ninth grade. So what does he do? What kind of jump does he take? And this feels like an offense that maybe has an advantage over other teams that didn't have spring practice because these guys have all played together. Yeah, and, and, and this is the first time Kyle Trask will have really any sort of expectation around him as well. Like you're outside of, of Lawrence and Fields, you're seeing him in those conversations about who's maybe the best quarterback uh, in the country. And, and last year, I think we never really quite knew if it was for real or not because he could come in in such a weird situation. He was running the ball, scoring touchdowns, even though he wasn't a runner, he was hurt. Uh, just kind of a, a, a put to, just cobbled together what ended up being a pretty good season. Well, yeah, and but all you have to do is watch what they did offensively as the season went on yeah. to see how much Dan Mullen trusted him. Is they struggled to run the ball, so they just basically stopped. Yeah, <laughs> they're like Kyle, you're going to throw us to to victory here, and he did pretty well with that. So I, I, I'm curious to see another guy Bruce had, and, and I'm curious to get your opinion on him, Chris. Trey Lance from North Dakota State, 28 touchdowns, zero interceptions, had a phenomenal season as a redshirt freshman. This is a guy we could be talking about as battling Justin Fields to be the first quarterback off the board in the NFL draft. But can an FCS quarterback, you know, I'm trying to, I'm thinking about Steve McNair was in the hunt for the Heisman yeah. when he was a senior at Alcorn State. But can an FCS quarterback get in that mix given? The, the divisions now well if north dakota state plays it beats oregon you know if we play that game and they beat oregon right at the beginning yeah. of the season um you'll start hearing about him more and more i know bruce has been all over him for a while now wrote a really good story on him daniel jeremiah the other day was, was really high on him after looking at his film so if you've got that media attention on you that's that's the first hurdle get a big upset like uh like beating oregon and that'll continue now i don't know I, I, it seems really, really unlikely to me. I mean, S- Steve McNair had to essentially break Division One records for total offense to get into the conversation, and I don't know if that's going to happen this time around. But, you know, when we got to rounds four and five, we kind of had to just pick some guys for, for, for partly for fun, but partly kind of had to go really outside the box. Matt Fortuna picked Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle at Oregon. I, I think he's got a good shot. Bruce voted him second last year. Yeah. He's the guy I'd love to see win. I mean, I, I hate that it's only for two positions. I, the, the first time I had a, had a vote, I voted for Ndamukong Sue number one because he was the best player in the country that year. So I, I hope Panay Sewell wins, but I'm trying to win this thing, so I picked five quarterbacks. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I had a, I had one wide receiver. I went with Rondell Moore at Purdue. 
I, I think he can get back to his All-American form. Hopefully it was as a freshman. He was injured and missed most of last season. But that's a really explosive guy. Purdue has a lot of now experience coming back after what happened last year with everybody getting hurt. And then I went with Shane Bouchel, my final pick at SMU. Um, I, they've got Lincoln Riley's brother there, Garrett Riley, now going to run the offense. It's going to be more of an air raid as opposed to what Rhett Lashley was running. So I think Shane Bouchel will pick up, uh, put up a ton of passing yards in that offense. I think it's uh, unlikely a group of five or FCS player wins it, but at the end I kind of just had some fun with it. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc all help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors and no artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code STAPLES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code STAPLES for 25% off your first order. drinkhydrant.com, enter promo code STAPLES. Speaking of the group of five, you had a really interesting story last week about the best undefeated group of five teams since the start of the BCS era. And you use whatifsports.com to simulate a tournament between all those undefeated teams. And you had number one, 2004 Utah, which, as we know, is the original BCS buster, Urban Meyer's second year at Utah. Alex Smith's final year at Utah. He then went on to become the number one pick in the draft. Uh, Morgan Scally's on that team. Paris Warren's on that team. They, they. I wish they'd had somebody better to play in the bowl game than that Pittsburgh team. I feel like the the country got shortchanged on seeing them just maul somebody good. Yeah. What What if Sports.com? It's really a lot of fun. You can pick any team since basically 1996 and and put them against each other. And not only does it give you the stats, but it gives you the play-by-play. And sometimes that leads to some glitches like that Utah team committed, I think, three illegal motion penalties in a row on the first drive. (laughs) On the first drive. And it seemed like a pretty disciplined team watching. Yeah, Urban Meyer did not have them ready out of the gate. But yeah, I used uh, the SRS rating on Sports Reference to seed them. Yeah, 2004 Utah, number one, 2010 TCU, 2017 DCF, 2006 Boise State, 2008 Utah, 09 Boise State, 98 Tulane, and 99 Marshall. It worked out. It was a perfect eight. But there were some teams in here that I really forgot, and I don't think we are fully appreciated at the time, like that 99 Tulane team as well. So uh, this oh, was fun. Yeah, Sean King. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in your tournament, 09 Boise State wins – and it kicked off by shocking the team I think would actually win if all these teams played, 2017 UCF. Now, the 09 Boise State team was really good. Uh, it, it was close to actually getting ranked number one in the AP poll during that season, and then they lost to Nevada in overtime. Um, I, I think it was – I don't know if it was Black – was that Black Friday? or I know it was that weekend. It was Thanksgiving weekend. They lost to Nevada in overtime. And Alabama and Texas wind up playing for the national title that year. But that was a very good Boise State team. 
Yeah, and th- this computer system just really liked that Boise State team. It's the one that beat Oregon in week one and had the LeGarrette Blunt punch at the end. Uh, honestly, though, that UCF team played 09 Boise closer in the simulation, closer than anybody else. It took a field goal in the final minute for Boise State to win. They won the rest of their games pretty comfortable, and this ended up winning the whole tournament. So I think 2017 UCF kind of got a rough draw. Uh, yeah. And it would have been I think I think if you actually played these out, 2017 UCF and 2010 TCU probably have the best top-to-bottom talent. If you had to play an actual tournament where you're playing week-to-week-to-week, I think those two teams, their depth would probably shine through because that that 17 UCF team had some great athletes that you're still seeing play for UCF. I mean, they were a deep, deep team. Yeah, and and speaking of 2010 TCU, they they lost to 98 Tulane, uh, in, in the first round, I simulated it another five times to see what happened, and TCU won four of the five. It's just TCU just had a – it was a bad day to have a bad day, and, and that TCU team uh, got Rich, Rich Rod took care of Gary Patterson just that one when it, when it, when it mattered most. Yeah, Rich, yeah. Rich Rod was the offensive coordinator on that Clemson he team. He was. And you know – Tommy Bowden was the head yes, coach. Yes, and, and the next year uh, – next year, Tommy Bowden goes to Clemson, loses to 1999 Marshall – uh, who ends up going undefeated as well. And actually, that Tulane team and that Marshall team both would have been in a BCS game under the rules that they put in later. I think it was like 06 when they said if you're a top 12, right. you get automatic. They both made it into the top 12, but that rule was not in place at the time, and so it was a lot easier uh, to keep them out before you added the separate championship game. One, one more team that we'll give a shout-out to is 08 Utah. You know, that was the team that had Brian Johnson at quarterback that, that whipped Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. But that, that was another team, I think, that would have been really a tough out in this tournament. Yeah, they, you know, they finished with a number one ranking in a couple of metrics. Uh, obviously, you know, to beat Alabama pretty handily in that uh, game as they did. They made it to the championship uh, in this tournament before losing to... Uh, Boise State so Brian Johnson and, and all them uh, this was really a lot of fun uh, anybody can go to what if sports and, and have some fun with it I recommend you check out the the tournament I put together it's fun seeing a lot of these old names that you kind of forgot about and, and you see them playing against each other uh, it was a lot of fun see this is what May and June is for we're supposed to have these arguments in May and June it's just the the stuff we started the show with we're not used to talking about so we, we will we will get all that stuff straightened out. As this goes forward, we'll figure out how football winds up coming back because I think we're going to see football this season. It's just probably going to look different than we've ever seen it before. But in the meantime, we can keep having these kind of arguments. My Heisman team is going to whip Chris's Heisman team. 2017 UCF should have won this tournament. That's all right. We can yell at each other about that. It's better than yelling at each other about masks. Chris, thank you so much for, for joining us, and thank you for the time. Yep, thanks for having me. That's it. Thanks so much for listening. A lot going on as college football tries to get started back up or doesn't after the COVID-19 quarantine. This is going to be a really interesting next few weeks as the schools decide how they're going to handle everything. We know what the SEC is going to do. We know what some of the Big Ten is going to do. We do not know what other Big Ten schools are going to do. And we're just going to have to find out as we go along if this is going to be a, a normal, well, as close to normal as possible uniform season or one where it's going to be a patchwork. We 
got about two and a half months to get that figured out. We'll see what happens. I'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you.